Shabbat Shalom all to our uh, topics. Shabbat Shalom. Glad you could make it on this wonderful, glorious Shabbat day. Amen. We've got Daniel and Karina and me, David, and T. Ferret. This is a, we're going to do a study of Parshma, Parshat Shemini with uh, as many de- see, detours <laughs> Let's see. as it takes. Indeed. This is in Leviticus chapter 9, I believe. Starts with Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 9. So we're looking. <clears throat> we made some notes for this session. Okay. I think if there's one thing about this that I really wanted to get across is, you know, we've had just a little bit of a chat here about kosher, and that's actually part of this, um, part of this parsha. So it starts in the sixth portion. Well, I guess it would be better if I would start. Maybe I won't do it that way. We're in this context of talking about the korban, the korban and the various different kinds, and this one is kind of a zoom in on Ola for a portion of I think what I'll is let's let's uh let's take a look at the nutshell uh, the nutshell article the Shemini in a nutshell let's see what that has to say right so I was thinking very much to talk about the coast the Kashru Toro instruction um, it says on the eighth day following the seven days of their inauguration Aharon and his sons begin to operate or officiate as Kohanim priests so a fire comes down from Elohim to consume the offerings on the altar and the Shekhinah the divine presence comes to dwell in the sanctuary so hallelujah it's that's a good place to start. But it does have this really interesting contrast in this Torah portion. It's very odd. The story about Nadav and Avihu. I feel like saying, does everybody know who are Nadav and Avihu? Um, no. Okay, Is it the, so, the sons of Aaron that right, these are the two elders. fire? These are the two older sons. They're the firstborn and the second oldest of um, Aharon. Yeah, so they're operating, doing something, but it... A lot of people are familiar with this story. It says they bring, it's they brought so-called Ish Zara, strange fire, before Hashem. Which is really more properly understood as, like, unauthorized fire. Yes, right. To look at the yeah. past case of where that is, that's coming up here. Let's see. Uh, that's the fire that came down from heaven. That was the good one. Then it moves on to Nadav and Avihu in chapter 10. It says they took an incense pan, put fire on it, laid incense on it, and they offered for Hashem. This says alien fire. The Hebrew says, Lifne Hashem Ish Zara. What'd you say? Unauthorized? Yes, unauthorized fire. Yeah, that'll totally work for Zara. It's unrecognized, improper. It's alien that's why they went with alien and this <laughs> has nothing to do with ufos it just means Aww. that it's not right <laughs> nothing to do figure. oh well maybe next time <laughs> unauthorized looking... is probably about the best way to say it. what what is the Un... hebrew word again zara oh, this word i think here, i found zara. it yeah zara found it nope that's that's not it's um 10 verse one it's the fourth word from the end oh, okay. fifth, fifth word fifth. So, okay i found it there it is zara do you have a, do you have a lexicon for that one uh sort of it's got uh it, it can you still see my screen yeah czar okay yeah it's profane strange foreign it also has the implication of zona which is adultery yeah that's indirect here in this context but so something it's a czar in hebrew when it's like not legitimate or it's not the real thing 
Yeah. That's a czar in general, like the most general terms. Okay. So it'd be like um, abnormal fire. Abnormal. So to say idolatry in Hebrew, he uses this term Zara as in Zara kind of service or work. Avodah Zara. That's kind of the same word. It is the same word. It is the same word. Avodah means service. And it just uses this word, unauthorized, uncommanded, what would you call it, unauthentic? No, I used unauthorized. Unauthorized, yeah. Alien, but it can have the context of... Adulterous? Yeah, like Idolatry? it's pushing. Uh, Avodazara can definitely mean service to the other side, like treacherous. Oh, strange. You I did there. Zara. So anyway, it's a S Zara. And, and then this says, Asher lo tziva otam. That, and this means literally such that they had not been commanded. That's unauthorized. <laughs> yeah. Such that they had not been commanded. Asher lo tziva, that wasn't that did not that Hashem did not command them so this topic well uh, let's go on and finish the story so an ish an ish came that's in the next sentence it's in yours uh, it's in the, the numbers are funny on yours for some reason I don't know why I think it's because uh, it's in paragraph form instead well, of uh... oh yeah well don't don't change it too much we want at least we can read it but it's the second line oh yeah Simo love guitar okay wait a minute I see what's going on Okay, so number two does say, Titse Ish, and Ish went out. A fire went, and then it's from before Hashem. Milifne Hashem, it's right there. Yudhe Vavhe, Vatochal is consumed up, Otam, them, Vayamutu, and they died before Hashem, literal. Yeah. And then it goes on. There is this very, what's that? I, I'm sorry, I know that these, um, I know I know I'm trying to follow along. The In, in the Hebrew, yeah. in this program, it's got dots between the words and the last letter of the word. It's a little odd that they would do that. Not sure why that it's not really in the text. They're adding that. Wonder what the, they signify, what it signifies. Yeah, so the, and, right, the last word of verse two there, this otan, that dot before the mem is shouldn't, no reason for that i don't know what they're you know that would have to be a research project to understand what they're yeah it's something explicit to the module as opposed to the program so if i go to a different hebrew module it might not show up let's try it yeah well they might be showing that it's technically two different pieces or like they might be showing it's those are called uh yeah this one doesn't show that but All also, right. I lose my no ability. Vowels. You lose huh? your vowels. They lose the vowels. And that well, one. it does lose the vowels, but also it loses the ability when I hover my mouse over the word to give me the, the lexicon right, information. I, I totally agree. That's the hard way right there. That's like reading from a Sefa scroll. Those mm-hmm. are, that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's something that if, if I were going to do that, I would want to practice it in advance. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's hard. Okay, so, yeah, relative hard. So that has the Otam. So there's, that has a name, I forget, but it's a preposition ending um, separate from the root. That's all that is. So is there another one to try, or those two? Uh, I think those might be my only two. There could be another one, but sure, sure. Oh, there's another one. All right, so the the font's not as pretty, but at least it doesn't have those uh, distracting dots. Yeah, that's the number two right there. 
And when I hover my mouse, it gives me the lexicon on this one. That's nice. Right. Sure, sure is right. Uh, so hover the mouse over the tetsu just to try that. That's the number two right there. That's the very first word, that thing. Leo. So, right. Yep. See that? Bring out or go out. So a fire went out. <laughs> yeah. From in front of Hashem. Yeah. And then go to that, uh, go, go to the next line. <laughs> over right. No, one more. That one. Tochal. Is, uh, okay, so they're saying devour, burn up, consume. It's achal. Achal. Yeah. It's the same word as like, it's either eating or it's, in this case, it's consume, burning up. Oh, that makes sense. Cause it, it does. Um, yeah, it does make sense. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, I can't remember the wording, but uh, back before I had put my Hebrew learning on pause, um, machal or achal or something like that was to eat. So that makes sense. It is that root. Aleph chat. Turns out that's that word is part of the very first commandment that ever came of all the trees of the free field or garden you may freely eat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the eating was part of the original mitzvah. Nice. I'm okay with that. If you could see me in person, you would agree with me that I agree with that. Yes. I like to think of myself as a well-rounded fellow. So what happened here is this goes on and they had to pull their bodies out of that place. There's a warning that comes from Moshe, or a very inter- interesting word that says, it's in there, we can read it, it's, it's the next verse, it's three. Moshe says to Aharon, this is that which Hashem said, was talking about, saying, Bikrovai, those who approach me, um, through those near to me, I show myself whole at their trance right here. So, Bikrovai e Kadesh, I should be sanctified by those who approach me, is another way of thinking about it. That's Bikrovai Kadesh, Ve'alfanai Chol Ha'am e Kaved, and I should be held in esteem by all the people. So, our own didn't say anything. That's what that verse says. Aharon did not say. That's the last two words. Vayidoma Aharon. Um, so Aaron what to say? Silent. Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right. So this happened. This is a itself a huge deal. <laughs> so this this detour, um, <coughs> a a significant amount of time and space can be devoted to the question of why did this happen? What what happened? What's going on? Why did Nadav and Avihu die? What happens? And there are more than a dozen explanations. Mm-hmm. It's just something to be aware of. The stuff that's part of the context. The text does is strongly imply this had something to do with some connection to using uh, alcohol because that comes in as a warning in verse 9. You can go down to verse 9. But, and the other thing is, in a very simple 10 explanations that we've heard, is that, well, they offered strange fire, and that's why. <laughs> but the key thing to take from this is, there's more to it than that. And it's even an explanation of why were they doing this. What must have been like factors involved in this episode? So this this warning, this admonition comes from Hashem right immediately after this. Mm-hmm. This verse nine. Read the thing in English. Don't drink any wine or other intoxicating liquor. Neither you nor your sons with you when you enter the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. This is to be a permanent regulation through all your generations, so that you will distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the un clean and the clean and so that you will teach the people of israel all the laws adonai has told them through moshe so the kind of the picture i'm perceiving 
is that, you know, possibly what happened was the sons of Aaron, his two old eldest, they were celebrating, they got drunk, and in their zeal, they offered this fire, which they were not supposed to offer, but they were doing it because they weren't thinking straight and wanting to please God without doing it properly. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. In a full study of this, we wouldn't have, <laughs> we really wouldn't have time to do it in one one lesson but there are between 12 and 14 known explanations and and we can do a quick survey of some of them uh, using the, the wine or something that's that's one of one of the 14 mm-hmm. uh, being careless about careless about incense that's probably two now of the 14 i mean there's this idea of not only not drinking but the reason you're not drinking is so that you're able to make the distinction between the holy and the common correct and the unclean versus the clean and so i feel like the reason they died had something to do with you know approaching the holy holy place with this you know careless laxy daisy joyous drunken kind of perspective and attitude and they ended up putting a fire on the altar when god didn't command them to do so and that itself is a profaning of the greatness of god oh that's well said and there there are different variations (laughs) different variations on this theme being you know like I, I can't say that I accept all of these. It's just something for us to be aware of. Um, somehow being overzealous, overjoyful, not being, so it was being too emotional, not concerned with the prudent thinking about how they had to do this, right? Mm-hmm. It does, it kind of comes out in the explanation that you just, and, you know, there is this prophetic idea, like a mashal that you can get from this, is that we shouldn't, like, rely on exclusively emotion right emotions are not what guide us we should benefit from emotions it's happened right Um, i feel like emotions are kind of like the you know you're you're making this this dish and um to make it not so bland you you add some spice right well that's what emotions are in life dish is your life and the spice the emotion but like you wouldn't eat just spice but so many people are trying to do just that all right, I'm going to go through some of these. I did, I did find an article that's talking about these. Sure. So, um, you know, this is coming from that idea because they were emotional. And how, how would you say? <laughs> Emotionally captivated. Right. So it became like, I don't care if I live or die because I want to be so close to God. Well, that's one of the art. Take it. <laughs> I could that's- make that it if i wanted to i guess yeah i know that's what it's it's tenable it has it's plausible it's just that you know we're uh, we're talking about following emotions versus following prudent thinking and knowledge of the work mm-hmm. okay the second reason well they, they died because they improperly handled the incense well uh, yeah okay <laughs> improperly handling the incense was one of the one of the facts i will say it that so far all three explanations can be simultaneously correct right that's what that's what's interesting about this because you can it layers all right another one is they died or this contributed they they died because they introduced the improper kind of fire into the holy of holy well you can't miss on that that's exactly what the text says so you can't i I don't need any further you know what i mean 
like did I know what I'm saying? That explanation in the Torah says mm-hmm. they brought in the wrong kind of fire, holy of holy. So that's any we already we kinda were there. Yeah. Unless you see it's something different, and that's fine too. We can argue about it. <laughs> well, wait, did this happen inside the Holy of Holies or the Holy Place? Because I thought only the high priest, which would be Aaron, could go into the Holy of Holies. And if that's what happened, then another good explanation would be they were in the Holy of Holies. Right, that is true. That is true. So it's improper navigation through that those corridors of the tabernacle, right? That's right. an angle I haven't thought about before. <laughs> But yeah, okay. So that I'm picking this up from Safaria. Okay. Um, you know, it's a pretty respectable source. So let's go to the next one. We'll leave that. Um, they were. <clears throat> this comes up in Numbers, in this next uh, or in next book of the Bible. It's talking about Nadav and who died, and it's using grammar where it's saying, "And they had no children," or "Because they had no children." That's this next. So they were not thinking about that. Or the next one, because they were not, they didn't know find a maid and get married. That's another one. I've heard that one. You've, you've actually heard that one, yes. That yeah, it was, it was on the Rashi podcast, yeah. So it depends, you know. It's not, sometimes it's not what's done. It's the motive behind what's done or not done that's the issue. Yeah. Like. <laughs> also, I feel like another good way to look at it would be it's not necessarily one specific thing but a collection of things added together so another one is that another explanation of what's going on here here is it's likely that they in their emotion or what's the word being enthusiasm enthusiasm being like sloppy about it i forget how you said it being careless uh, maybe just a little tinge of careless deal that's what i said they attempted to draw too close or approached god too much without permission and so that goes along with this holy of holies Mm -hmm. saying (laughs) and there's quite a bit of detail to every one of these that i'm just skipping um they were in disrespect of what the command that moshe had given them that's another yeah that's another one okay cool Uh, (laughs) i heard a whole lesson on this once it's quite markedly I heard it, it you've already hit it but there was a there was a way that this podcast had dated the idea of them not being married that was really beautiful and it was like they wanted to be close to God and so they forsook the things of the world so as to be closer to God but if what you want to do is be godly then you have to have not only your your head looking towards the sky, but your feet also in the ground. To be godly is to be godly in the world God has created, and uh, it was something akin to that. It was it was really beautiful the way they put it. I don't know that that's necessarily like I don't see a whole lot of evidence for that reasoning in the Tanakh here in in the Torah, but uh, it was a it was a pretty thought, anyways. All right, so this is one. The next one is we've already deduced this kind of pretty much so posted this one on our list we already saw this they it was because they came in they entered the tent of Helmoed uh, like when they were drunk mm-hmm. from from liquor right right that's that's one of the explanations in thus giving rise to like carelessness or something to that effect right um next uh, this is getting into different levels of transgression is it because era uh the transgression of aaron making the calf it's getting into that too <laughs> 
it's getting into that too, which, yes, I would have to easily in order to what to say exactly. Yeah. There could be something to it. Or is it manifesting its own way in their life? That would be kind of the indirect question. So, in other words, what our Aharon did was like treason against the priesthood, really. <laughs> so, did they do their own version of that? That's that really raises that question. It could be. All right, so we're getting an idea, and this thing out is really going on its detail, which is not bad. It's just something we don't have the time for right now. Right. Oh, I'm trying to over important thing to take away from this. The Torah says that they brought strange fire, and so a superficial kind of take on that is, oh, well, they they didn't do the fire right, and so God took them out. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that there are more than a dozen other factors that are behind this episode, and it's something to not not be ignorant aware of that there's more to this than just the ish zara, and even mentioning the liquor wine. So you have the hard attitude, you have what's called the kavanah, which is the kavanah is your concentration, right state of mind as you're going and doing this. So that should be done soberly. It's not something like in, what was it, rub or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So all all of these that idea that you mentioned a bunch of them it may have been from the podcast yeah so those are those are things to take note of as in this parsha and so as a result of this uh itamar elizar are the two remaining sons of aharon they appear later oh they appear right here look at that in verse 12 of chapter 10 10 verse 12 all of a sudden moshe is talking to aharon and nadav and who have died so it's um Elazar and Itam in that verse. <laughs> so that's the takeaway. The role of that taking taking the uh, sons of Aaron fell upon the two younger sons. Mm-hmm. And that's who appears in the Torah after. Right. Okay, so let's skip down to the sixth portion. This is the part that I was really wanting to spend some attention on, put some attention. Is that gonna, in chapter 12, 13? 11. It's 11, verse 1. <laughs> oh, it- so here's the first thing. To, it, it feels like the Torah is talking about a different korban and stuff for the um, this whole story of Nadav and Avihu and doing the priesthood and different like service of Kohanim. Then all of a sudden it jumps, drops, it kind of pauses that in verse 20 of chapter 10. Though actually there was an argument between Moshe and Aharon. Yeah. But <laughs> potentially a miscommunication, right? Yeah, I, uh, I heard a little bit about it. Yeah, something about the sacrifices and why we're... Uh, Two out of the four or something like that, not not burned properly or eaten properly or something. And um, uh, the explanation that's, I think, read between the line with the Rashi podcast was that, you know, he, uh, Aaron didn't think it would be right to do everything according to procedure on account of the fact that he was grieving his, the death of sons. That's the explanation. There's a certain status, that, and there's a word in Hebrew for that. A person who has lost a, uh, a loved one like that, particularly a child, yeah. there's a certain word for that. There's actually a word. You're in a spiritual state that's different. Yeah. And that, that is the backdrop for the understanding of this passage. Okay. So what we want to constant yeah, that and that that's important. So if we talked about Nadav and Avihu to a really adequate degree, we would never get to this. <laughs> Other thing yeah. is a fact. Okay, so uh, I, I really want to present this as the sheet that came down this talked about often is, is really wildly misinterpreted. Um, yeah. And I want to say that as a preface to this section of the podcast. 
I think it's in the book of Acts. And Peter's up on the roof from what I and somehow a sheet comes down and this vision nullifies and reverses all of this instruction. Yep, supposedly. <laughs> supposedly the word is ostensibly. <clears throat> So if you need an explanation for that, if you go, does, you know, does Peter anywhere after that happens, does he go anywhere and say, it's all been made clean, let's bring in the pig? Is there any examples of him eating anything other than kosher right. afterwards? Yeah. Does he preach about it? Does he talk about it? That, oh, let's, let's, it's, you know, it's time to bring in the bacon bits, the bacon and the uh, ham. Why if it was, what was the reason it was considered kosher in the first place? And whatever reason you may think, now picture that's in, that same reason in light of the coming of the Messiah and ask yourself, why does the coming of the Messiah change that? How could it? Yeah. Right. Like, Logically, it doesn't make any sense. So if you need an explanation, just study what Peter does. He is encouraged, at least, that he can go and affiliate and associate with the, the you call them the Gentiles. Yeah, the, <laughs> right. the non-Jews. Right, so he has, you know, if you... If you need an explanation for the sheet, watch the life. You have to observe. you got to look a little deeper. And you can't take this um, quickie explanation that's given by church tradition to say that that the episode the, somehow the episode of the sheet reverses everything we're about to study all right so there's the preface got it um you have it you have it i, w- I was gonna have you read this stuff okay so we can be really methodical with it here right i think oh yeah so what is leviticus 11 let's see i'll, I'll say it this way so in leviticus 11 we have instructions for making a difference between things that eat that are permitted that are permissible that are called clean and it has instructions about what things are impure or unclean huh. i have to tell you unclean is not really the best word impure is a much better word, okay so it also has very strong language distinguishing between yeah i'm kind of curious um all right so go ahead it would it would seem <laughs> to me that i guess w- did they not know kosher from unkosher at this point well we've had that discussion before because it looks like even back to the days of noah they knew the difference right so why are we specifying this again to the israelites see what i'm saying well one answer would be and i think it's a fabulous question um because there's indication that jacob and the 12 you know sons of jacob they all knew these these instructions right something i guess it's like think of it as the terms of the covenant need to be spelled out formally Okay. That's that's the best way to think about it. I got gotcha. you. We all have a good understanding of what this covenant is, but we still want to still want to make sure everyone's on the same page just for sake of, you know, error. I think error. there's a secondary reason. Yeah, it's, it's not only explicit, but it also gives the correct details to really be able to fulfill it, right? Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. So there's the second the secondary question is is there a pragmatic reason for having it all spelled out? And there is. Okay, so, and that's what this gives. Okay. All right, you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Leviticus 11, verse 1. Adonai said to Moshe and Aaron, Tell the people of Israel, these these are the living creatures which you may eat among all the land, and any that has a separate hoof 
which is completely divided and chews the cud. These animals you may eat, but you are not to eat those that only chew the cud or only have a separated a separate hoof. For example, the camel, the coney, and the hare are unclean for you because they chew the cud but don't have a separate hoof. While the pig is unclean for you because although it has a separate and completely divided hoof, it doesn't chew the cud. You are not to eat the animal from these and or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. All right, so let's stop here for a bit. All right, okay. So what we're looking for is a recipe right, for be able to distinguish. <laughs> this is talking about land animals to distinguish between tahor, stuff that you are permitted to eat and ones that are not. And it starts out in this chapter 11 with a very specific category of creatures land and have they possess certain attributes and you can test if the land animal has it or not mm-hmm. so there are two tests right they call it a cloven hoof a split hoof and uh, one of us it's a like a recycled digestive system yeah <laughs> where gross. it goes down and comes back up <laughs> they chew it again and then swallow it again yeah, I think right. it's for animals with multiple stomachs. Right. Yeah. Like a cow, so, I think, has like seven stomachs. So it they they chew it, swallow it, goes into the first stomach. That first stomach brings it back up. They chew it again and swallow it. Goes into the second stomach. Correct. So on and so forth. S- correct. Gross. Here, see, it's, it's. I agree. It sounds a little bit like. Strange what were you to us. thinking, God? Oh my right. gosh. <laughs> And what the the interesting thing is, these are the ones that are kosher. Okay, so a cow, right? That species of animal has a split hook, and they call this uh, chewing the cud. Yes. <laughs> That's what these specific words mean in Hebrew. If you have an animal that meets these specific traits or requirements... Like a cow. Another one it does is a goat. Another one's a sheep. There's some other ones that are kind of interesting. You know, a deer is technically a kosher animal. It's severe. Okay. Is it? So I've often wondered, right? So it's got, uh, for an animal to be kosher for eating, it has to be killed humanely, right? Okay. That's like an ideal. Yeah. That gets into the difference between, like, say, uh, biblical kosher, well, orthodox kosher, right? Because the orthodox kosher has a certain way that it has slaughtered, correct? Okay, I don't well, think I mean, guess, I don't... well, my question is, like, it, it's supposed to die without pain. Yeah, or with, correct. Without too much pain, something, right? And so, like, would that mean hunting would be off limits? Because I think David was, you know, when he was on the run, he would have to hunt for his food, right? So... It's... So what we need one way to approach that is that the the process of the slaughter should not cause great pain for the animal. Right. That's and so how would you hunt deer? That's what this is a whole halakhic question. How would you like you you take okay? So um, Isaac Eatscott commissions Esau to go and find some some uh, wild game venison. It's it's probably deer. Right. So they had had to know how to... How to hunt for a food source and kill it with a minimum amount of pain? Correct, yeah. I mean, I'm agreeing with without 
I don't actually the technicality is something learned. I don't know the answer. Yeah. But like but likely what's commonly done isn't the best, if that's what you're saying. Yeah. So like shooting it with a gun and you you get like its hind leg or something and then it runs for a quarter of a mile while bleeding out and uh you know that that doesn't sound very painless to me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I completely agree with that. Mm. So what we what we really need to do is we need to learn more about this. Um, I brought it up just so that the listeners, people would know it's more than just cattle, she goats that are, that qualify here on the type of hoof that it has and the type of digestion that it has. Yeah. But th- that's a really great question about, so what we need is some insight on how did Isaac train Esau to go hunt those deer, right? And he mentioned, yeah. you mentioned King Day before he was the king, you know, he had, it was just a shepherd, probably did some hunting. Yeah. Um, he was very trained out at the day of the battle with Goliath. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Well, I would put that in the category of uh, topics for more. I think it's, it is ideal if it can be done in a way that causes minimal like pain, but this is where we get into, uh, <laughs> you really got to think of us, the whole definition, the definition of Orthodox kosher, for example, have, have very strict ways that that has, has to be done or it won't be considered kosher. Right. So if someone wants to follow at that level, we're not discouraging. Mm-hmm. It may, however, it may not be for everybody. I can't say that it's for it's for us. So may Hakodesh Baruch Hu bring bring some clarity. Uh, in, I think, and I think he will. I think he'll bring more clarity to us on on how these fine details are to be like ironed out. Ironed out, because if you take the like the meat department in Kroger and stuff, <laughs> none of that. It wouldn't matter that it's lamb goat if it was goat cattle beef you know it wouldn't make any difference because according to the strict laws of yes those would not be none of that it would all be the same as pig well that's unfortunate because we eat a lot from kroger meat wise i'm not gonna deny it um (sighs) the, the, the thing that we're saying is that what what we've seen in the manifestation of these rules at that level and th- there's like a certain prag prag non-practicality to it that just can't be right and that's where we are mm-hmm. it's the same with that fire on shabbat discussion we were having earlier <clears throat> well i feel like i feel like it's less doable now than like where we are as opposed to if we were in israel where the majority of people eat kosher the market would cater to the kosher um uh what's the word i'm looking for the need i think that's a that's a really great point is that once the tribes to the north were all gone into exile and we're going to be living among the nations who don't have who don't follow this torah it's like it's going to be part of life, you know. Then, you know, what are you going to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's really impractical. So, may Hashem hasten the day, give my hair, bring it in our time, that we can really do this at a at a at a higher level than what we've done. I didn't plan on getting into this, but it's a great question. It came up because of the deer, the tzvi. Yeah. So some other animals, some other other animals that are known kosher is like a buffalo, big ant. I'm pretty sure that the moose chews the cud and has split hooves. Pretty sure. Can't be quoted on that. I would think so. It's in the deer family, right? Yeah. So they're yeah. right. But what the Torah does for you here is it gives you a guide, a specific test you can use, right? And then it goes through a few examples 
of an animal that's used to cut, like a camel. Oh, you know, it doesn't have a split hoof. Right. And so it's it's tummy. It's impure. Then there's a couple animals here. Uh, it's technically, the problem is nobody knows exactly what these animals, the chiffon. What did that thing call it? A coney or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not sure what a coney is supposed to be. It's a word that gets put in there because nobody is sure what this really refers to. And the same with the next one, Arnevet. What did they what they call the one after the Coney? It was the, um, oh, where was it? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Choose a cud. For example, the camel, the Coney, and the hare. The rabbit. Yeah, right. The hare, and everybody thinks that's a rabbit, you know? Because that's oh, what's so used to English. we don't know that that's a rabbit. No, we don't. Oh. Well, it would have to be some rabbit that chews the cud. Did they do that? Uh, so, before I was ever involved in the Hebrew Roots movement, um, there was this article. I was probably 13 or so years old. Yeah. And the way in which the the uh, chewing of the cud was defined at the time and the way it's defined today is different. And so the way it was defined in ancient times applies to the rabbit, but the way it applies, the way it's defined today, it does not. So the reason I saw that article is because I was really into apologetics at the time. And there's this, you know, pe- people who are staunchly and militant against scripture will point to this verse and say aha see if the bible is god's word it should have no mistake but look here it says the ant the rabbit uh the the rabbit chews the cud when it doesn't and the article is saying well it's not really a fair argument because the way it was defined at the time differs from the way it defines now and that you know going with the original um, definition, it actually does. So the whole argument is folly. <laughs> those um, reasons to not believe the Bible or errors and those kind, those kind of books, those are a source of like never-ending entertainment, really. <laughs> the people that, that try to devise, like it says there were seven cards, and another passage that says there were six cards, and supposedly that disqualifies. Uh-huh. It's not God's <laughs> word at all. <laughs> All right, you know so it's sad though. It is sad because it's sad. can you it's see sad what the problem? People were actually convinced by these. I mean, for lack of a better word, I guess we'll call them arguments. They're not even arguments, <laughs> but like people, they they convince people because people don't know how to think. There are a couple of different ways to approach that. And the first way is: does it really follow? Does it really follow that if there is a discrepancy or potential, what looks like is one, or something doesn't add up or make sense? Does that disqualify the whole? rest of it you know what i mean well that, i mean obviously doesn't... for the militant atheists out there the answer is yes because they've got that axe to grind yeah. but uh beyond that um oh i have thought now I, I think i've just lost <laughs> uh, uh, it's like right there i can't i can't think of it oh i remember so Another one of my favorites are when someone's like, well, it's so old and it's been, uh, you know, repeatedly over and over rewritten. How do you know that what we have today resembles at all what originally was written down? And I'm like, you have no idea the pains that will go into every time a Torah scroll is copied. I mean, they utilize the fact that every letter 
has a value to it. And after each line, not only do they visually check that all the letters are right, and not only that the letters are right, but the size of each letter is right, and the spacing of each letter is right, they also count the value of each individual letter and then add it all up to where the line should equal a particular figure and then they do the same thing for their own you know what they've just copied and if it's not the same that whole scroll is garbage right so what does that tell you what that or what that tells me is that if there are like apparent discrepancies those discrepancies don't have the meaning that you're trying to give it the second question with this whole thing is who set you up as some kind of like magistrate judge us well, I That's, think it's important that people take responsibility for what they believe. Yeah. So in that in this, in that sense, I think that they should question everything, but do so yeah. from this point where you're you're actually investigating yourself instead of just listening to what some of some author with an axe grind has to say. Because if you're writing a book, you can frame it however you want, and if you're already anti-God and anti-Scripture, then you can devise all kinds of arguments against it that have no bearing on actual logic or reality the tone of what i said about who made you a, like a judge things of god it would yeah. be like well go create your own universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and set the thing in the motion and then come back we'll talk about it. all right that's that's enough of this that's just ridiculous that's why i mean it's a never-ending source of entertainment yeah because of the absurdity anyway there are a couple animals there's some uncertainty it's officially not known who what these things are some people speculate a different type of a rabbit and then it goes on to one we do know exactly what's a well-known uh, well-known animal who's the the meat from this animal is well known to not be uh clean not not pure it's not something intended for food the chazir that's the pig right? here the chazir like seven. the hog <laughs> chazir i right. see it that is a pig or a hog it has a split hoof it's but it does not chew the cud so um it is it's a deceiver yes there's a whole right there's a whole understanding of it like it tricks you <laughs> It puts those hoofs out like it's a split hoof, you know, and as if yep. as if to announce, "Oh, I'm I'm kosher." <laughs> it's a great teaching. Lying son of a biscuit eater. <laughs> that's right, because that's important. It's teaching. It's important. Parting a really important skill. So then it says, "You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch the the dead cark. It's impure." But <laughs> You know, something to make note of. It doesn't say you can't sell it. It doesn't say you can't um, otherwise, like, selling it would be one thing. <laughs> you can't. It doesn't say you can't have it for a pet. It doesn't say that. Right? I just want to make this point. You right. can have it for a pet. You just can't eat it or touch it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have we have two tests, right, for land animals. You want to repeat those tests again? So It's got to have a split hoof. Well, it's got to have four split hoofs. Correct. And it's got to chew the cud. Which Chica. basically means it's got to eat its own vomit, which is right. gross. And so then we eat. Sheep, oats, cattle are the biggest that are known kosher. Right. 
Okay. And we mentioned passing and some other ones. Buffalo. Buffalo. Deer. Deer. Moose, we think. Moose. I'm pretty sure. Right. Okay. All right. So now we're going to turn our attention to a different category. This category is what is the test for um, creatures that are in the waters. All right. Okay. So we have lots of different animals, like, you know, that <laughs> swim around in the waters. This is probably my, my, um, the saddest bit about my eating kosher is that I've already got a taste for unagi, which is Japanese, uh, cooked eel, which is unclean. <laughs> right. So there's a test that we can apply to unagi, right? Uh, so what you're saying is that's an area that's hard to give up or hard. Yeah, hard it's, it's unfortunate. My mom, uh, had grown up in Japan for a number of years when she was a child. And so she had a taste for sushi and imparted it onto me. I therefore enjoy sushi. And since I've been down this road, I've not had any um, actual sushi. I've had sushi-like things. I've had salmon sushi, but uh, things like unagi can't have that. <laughs> all right, so let's read verse. Uh, can you read verse nine? Sure. Of all the things that live in the water, you may eat these. Anything in the water that has fins and scales, whether in seas or in rivers, these you may eat. But everything in the seas and rivers without both fins and scales, of all the wa uh, small water creatures and of all the living creatures in the water it is is a detestable thing for you yes these will be detestable for you you are not to eat their meat and you are to detest their carcass whatever lack one. sorry yeah one one more verse yeah, this last whatever one. lacks fins and scales in the water is a detestable thing. Now it's pretty interesting. So the test is really pretty simple. It's a clear, it's a very clear <laughs> word. So you have like you mentioned umagi or nagi or something. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, yeah. these different you have these different like <laughs> swarms and different sharks. Blowfish. What is it? Blowfish. Blowfish, you know, puffer. Eels. Eels. Uh, you got your uh, catfish. Whale. Whales. Uh, cat. Oh, you already said catfish. Yeah, catfish. Uh, All, you know, think about oceans, like, you know, dolphins, sea, yeah. what are they called? Um, seahorses? Yeah, seahorses. Starfish. Clams. Star, clams. Oysters. Yeah. Oysters. Crabs. Lobsters. Crabs. Don't want crabs. No crabs. <laughs> so there's like um, this, right, there's a... <sighs> Uh, and I don't, I don't feel like I'm an expert at uh, marine biology to know all this different stuff. Well, uh, right? I I used to be a summer naturalist at the Newport Aquarium. Does that count? Yeah, let's go through. So, so what are the, yeah, let's start naming some of the critter, the creature there. Well, right? like, for example, when you make toast, don't use jellyfish on it. So that's kind <laughs> of a given. But I feel like most people so it's fine. Right, jellyfish. That's another one, right? Jellyfish. And then, um. We talked about uh, oysters, crabs. What are they called? River daubers, I think. Those are cre uh, mud daubers, maybe. Um, yeah. They're those fish that have the ability to use their fins to propel themselves on the land. And uh, they dig holes deep into the ground where the water is still keeping the, the soil all muddy and stuff. And uh, stingrays, stingrays are out 
because uh, you might argue that the two flaps, two, uh, you know, its sides are, are fins, but even if that were to be true, there are no scales. And so it's a dazzling array. It's a tremendous variety of stuff that's in the waters, both yep. in freshwater and in seawater. Torah makes a simple test that can you can apply. Does that fish? Or sorry, does that have scales? Does that have fins? If it has right. both, you're good to go. Right, it does. It's a hundred percent. It's a it's a on board with a hundred percent. In fact, unlike the landales, it doesn't make it doesn't even mention any kind of exception. Only the test does the thing <laughs> have scales. That's the kashkesha. And the centipede is the uh, fin. So Yeah. <clears throat> and then um so like things like salmon, salmon has both scales and fins. Fins, so, so go. right. Salmon uh, is a right. Cat, catfish has. Let's talk fins, about catfish. Catfish has fins. It's but yeah, no scales. No scales. So according to the Torah, is the catfish kosher or non-kosher? It is unfit for human consumption. Right. So you can apply this test to a catfish. There was some other kind of fish that we encountered. I don't remember what it was, but it. It, it was some kind of question on whether it really had scales, and so we had to pass on that. <laughs> it was yeah. some kind of, like, something you have here, it's not so much up there. Some kind of kingfish or something. It was not in the category with tilapia and, you know, salmon or whatever. All those where you have a clear passing of this test. Yeah. There was some question about the scales on this, this type of fish. So if there's a question on either of these, it failed. Yep. And that's the lesson for today. So you can you can with confidence shop in the seafood. <laughs> Bring this note with you in Kroger or memorize. Of course, the way that they're showing it, you're not going to be able to apply the test that way. You have to have your phone handy. So you can look at the handy. options and then Google the options to get a picture of the animal pre postmortem and uh, see whether or not it's got fish, uh, it's got uh, fins and scales. Right. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to try it on tilapia. Right. It just it's a very common fish, and I'm going to find a picture. Here's a picture, T-I-L-A-P-I-A, if you want to do this, tilapia, right? And let's see, let's pretend that we're in Kroger, we're looking at a, a market, uh, cat, yeah, that's it right there. So we're on the phone or whatever, and we're seeing, yep, gut fins. <laughs> yep, that thing has scale. Yep. So put it in the cart. I, I heard... On that podcast I listened to, that usually um, if a fish has scales, then it has uh, fins. Is that true? Or maybe That's, they said that—that that is a generalization. That yeah, I can't say that dogmatically 100%, but we know from experience. It's often true, for sure. Fins, how would how would you say that? Fins, let's see. To have scales and no fins, it's like you never hear of that. But to have fins and no scales, that's a cat. <laughs> See, there are no species of fish that have scales but no fins. Huh, All right, so right there, the heavens declare the glory of God. Affirm announces his hand in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. Right there is a testimony to the Creator. It's a really important point. So you people who are trying to keep kosher and you're not, you're not going to follow the sheet fell down, the sheet came down argument anymore, you can you can put that up, you can post that up, and you can tell the world. <laughs> it would probably be a good idea to mention that we're not suggesting that the, the dream that Peter had was meaningless 
or unimportant. What we're suggesting is our interpretation through church tradition of that event is drawing the church to conclusions that were never intended to be. That's a good clarification, right? I guess I didn't quite stress that enough. (laughs) Well, I I mean, just in case, you know, because I want to be clear. Well, because that that idea, and the reason I prefaced, prefaced our talk today about it, because in Leviticus 11, the passage we're studying, all gets dismissed and because of the sheet that came. Yeah, the problem with that whole process is that this is a portion of the foundation that the New Testament is built on. So <laughs> if you take this part of the foundation apart, in a way, then what does the New Testament have to stand on? Nothing. The whole thing just erodes away. This is the solid rock that the New Testament is built on. All right, so we can move on. That was that was just an amazing understanding for where you had a huge variety of stuff that's in the waters. You could say, well, you know, oysters, well, it doesn't have fins and scales. I don't know. <laughs> Crabs doesn't have fins and scales. So it made it easy. Mm-hmm. There was some story here not too long ago, and I don't, it was some kind of Alaskan crab or something like that. And somebody told us they had eaten this Alaskan crab, and oh, it was terrible. They had a terrible experience. Well, you know, I, I'm not saying that's the reason it's in the Torah, but it does make sense that you had trouble. Yeah. <laughs> That that actually really did happen here. <laughs> okay, um, we can move on. The next section in chapter 11 is dealing with birds, gone from land animals to water uh, creatures to birds. And the Torah lists a, a long list of animal of birds that are not kosher. <sighs> so... The best way to think about that is pretty sure a duck's considered like chicken. Chicken is kosher. Duck is kosher. What's the other one? Turkey is kosher. Yeah. It's a big, long list of ones that are not. Um, so essentially, the division that I can remember offhand is that if it is a bird of prey, it is unclean. Right. So so um, eagles. Yep. Eagles, vultures. Owls, right. Well, you know, those those bottom feeders like a condor and a vulture and all that kind of makes sense. But they're definitely not clean. <laughs> yep. What's the other? A hawk. A hawk would be another one. Okay. Anyway, a lot of the biology, biological sciences going on with these. Um, oh, the stork. Forgot about that. The stork is also unclean. Right. So what's not mentioned here in the Torah is the ones that are um, specifically allowed. I don't know why that is, but we can rely on like what's kind of uh, <laughs> accepted knowledge that chickens are, are kosher. Okay. Any, anyway, so then there's a next category. <coughs> it says wing swarming things that walk on four legs. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's this is a very interesting part of the uh, Torah. So the difficulty here is that this is like certain um, crickets <laughs> are kosher. The problem is nobody knows which ones they are. Right. So in theory, so, you know, what's interesting is in the New Testament, remember how John the Baptist was in the wilderness? That was actually going through my mind when I was listening to this in the uh, that podcast I listened to. He was eating locusts and wild honey, right? Right. So apparently, if you take that at face value, he believed or he knew which one of these, this, there are exceptions to this, the bald locusts, crickets, 
grasshopper and something else. It's the way they translate. These are kosher, but don't worry, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. You're not gonna risk it. I'm not gonna risk it, right? I'm not gonna <laughs> risk it either. I, you know, even if I wasn't eating kosher, I probably still would not risk it. There's a whole trend right now is to people eating bugs. I'm aware. Right. I I, I don't. I'm, and so. If it's not one of these, like a very, very small select four of specific, it says they walk on all four. They have jointed legs to leap on the ground, similar to a grasshopper. There's some of these that are kosher. And apparently in the New Testament, the eating, what was it, locust and wild honey fulfilled that. So every other thing, all these bugs. <laughs> uh, well, we'll get back to that because the Torah, I'm clear, those are an abomination. Okay, where were we? We were, um, yeah, I didn't intend to cover all these details, but this is talking about different animals, um, animals who have different cleft cloven hoofs but do not chew the cud they're impure to you um all the animals that walk on their paws like a bear doll interesting are impure and then it goes on the whole other category it says the things that swarm on the earth and they translate this as a mole <laughs> a mouse and some types of lizard a gecko land crocodile lizard and a sand lizard and a chameleon the skink yeah is a is a skink supposed to be a skunk, or is that one of those unknowns? It's these are unknowns. Okay. They probably called this. Yeah, like if you go through word by word, the translations differ. <laughs> mm-hmm. So don't pay so much attention to whether it's a gecko, a crocodile, a lizard. Uh, so that would mean like this is like dealing with reptiles, and it does go on into the seventh portion, but that's a different topic. I wanted to, I wanted to kind of close up with this one section. Um, for some reason, I'm not seeing it. Impure. This koach, that has to refer to a crocodile, just because of what that word's. What does it mean? It's like the strong one. Oh. It has to. It's some kind of big reptile. <laughs> The power of impure among all the swarming things. There was one passage, and I'm not seeing it for some reason. It it would in it. It's very interesting because it would include uh, all kinds of uh, creeping things that have like legs. <laughs> this is getting back to this idea that they're trying to get people to like worms and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they're specifically excluded in this passage. It's being kosher. Yeah. And so for to one extent, I, I really do thank Hashem that there isn't any doubt. That's definitely something not for, it's not for us. Well, okay. So I'm not finding it. That's a little bit odd. Let's see. Then it moves to the stuff about things falling into a vessel. Yeah. So it's like when something, one of those unclean things, if it's dead and it somehow falls into your vessel, then the vessel itself is unclean and you got to break it so that you don't end up using it by mistake. Yeah, and it, it yeah, this is a whole halacha thing. So a lot of these are like they're like um, pottery jars, you know. They're it's a uh, it depends on what it's made of. Yeah, I did find the passage I was looking for, so now I'll go back up to that. They're calling it an earthen vessel in in verse thirty three, right? So like a Kol, clay water jar sort of thing. Yeah, clay, right? toko. So that means that like. If what technically what this means is if a piece of ham was put on a fine china, 
that vessel is not usable. It says you, you, you can't keep it. You got to break. That's what verse 33 says. Well, I guess this, that kind of uh, gives at least a little bit of credit to the rabbis in regards to, you know, if you're going to separate your meat and dairy, they're taking the severity of this and applying it to that at, you know. I don't agree with the whole no mixing yeah. meat and dairy, but if I did, at least they're being, in this particular way, they're being um, consistent. You know what I mean? They're, yeah, right. So this, it's a little bit of a tangent. I don't know how valuable it is, but it's just, it's a technicality. This says, if any of those falls into a cheres, which would be like China, the, the material China, not the country. <laughs> A china bowl or a plate. Mm -hmm. Everything inside it shall be impurified, made impure, and the vessel itself, you just have to bust it. You have to break it. Yeah. <laughs> because it's it's like transferred that impurity to the vessel. How that works, I do not know, but that's what the Torah is. And that's how serious this is. So we shouldn't be putting it in our body. Yeah. All right, so we can move on. Well, I want to skip down to this last page or part. Um, all the things that swarm upon the earth, verse 41, right? This is that's yeah, are an abomination. Sheketz hulachem or lo yachel. And then it says, "You shall not eat among all the things that swarm upon the earth, or anything that crawls on its belly, or anything that walks on all fours." It's kind of a big encompassing thing of everything else, or anything else that has many legs. That's the first I was aware. Of. I gotcha. It's really unthinkable. Um, the stuff that I've seen, and I saw it posted on social media. They stop in somewhere like a to get gas, and they were like. You know, bags of bugs. <laughs> so on them is snacks. Chocolate covered? Yes. Yeah, I've seen those. You have seen them. It's mind-boggling. Also, I think there's, um, I don't know how closely you follow things like Agenda 21 and, and stuff like that, but the World Economic Forum and everything. But if you listen to that, periodically you'll hear things about how they need to encourage that sort of um, animal into our everyday diet yes. because you know beef is just so horrible for the environment because of cow fart and all this and that you know just their attempt of taking over the world it's true i don't want to spend a lot of time on this but if you're listening and uh, identify you under you have seen this you heard about it the scripture gives clear guidance okay on what is correct and proper and uh, pure as opposed to what is impure, putting in our meals and our snacks. Mm -hmm. and bugs, bugs are not. There is a this really interesting exception. We'll discuss it briefly in reference to the New Testament, locust and wild honey. Problem is nobody knows what exactly yeah. some types of grasshoppers. I, I think the big thing to keep in mind is that when you when you eat something, you're taking on some of the characteristics of whatever it is you're eating. And above all things in your social life, the last thing you want to do is go around bugging people. So Right. That's right. <laughs> the great word. Yeah, that's what I do. Okay. I think that uh, there's, there's another topic to talk about, and I, I think I'd like to figure out how to jump over there. This... This was the main point to cover for the Parsha because it had the instructions. It says right here, here, can you read that um, verse starting with verse uh, 40, 44, right? For I am Adonai God, therefore consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. And do not defile yourselves with any kind of swarming creature that moves along the ground. Now, this is the complete Jewish study Bible version. 
There's a word here in parentheses, maftir. Any ideas as to what that's referring to? Uh, maftir. Like, it means it's the uh, it's the very end of the parsha. This is the last three verses. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. For I am Adonai, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, you are to be holy, because I am holy. You wish me to continue? Yeah. Go ahead. Two more. Okay. Yeah. Such then is the law concerning animals, flying creatures, all living creatures that live above in the water and all creatures that swarm on the ground. Its purpose is to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. (laughs) So you see, it does have a purpose and the purpose is that you can distinguish. And that's what we've devoted much of this lesson. There's practical mm-hmm. ways that you can push the cart, you know, what is it, the, the, the groceries, and try to find <laughs> and try to make good choices. Yep. Just because it's, you know, considered healthy by the culture doesn't mean it's clean and fit for uh, consumption for God's people. Well, right. And, and Hashem clearly associates he, he associates it with uh, being holy with the holiness he says i'm holy you ought to be holy so avoid these impure things because that's going to make you unholy mm-hmm. and the other thing it said law in that translation well you know what was that this is the law or something <laughs> how yeah, did that say law that again concerning The law concerning animals, flying creatures, all living creatures that move about in the water, and all creatures that swarm on the ground. So if you want to think of it as a um, legislation law, that's your prerogative, but a better translation of this word is instruction. So the instruction would convey the fact that it is going to be unholy. So the unholy is intrinsic. It is if you're disobeying the word. That itself is on. Yep. But even if you didn't know that the word said this, it isn't. This is saying that it will unholify, it will unsanctify the person to eat it. That's an instruction. So the unholy doesn't come from doing, from transgressing this. It comes from the fact that they are impure. It's an important distinction. Okay. All right. So I'll I'll just kind of talk through the the last part of this, and if we need to, we'll um, get more into it the next time. Were there any questions that, that came up this time before I get into this? Um, I feel like there was a question I had in regards to uh, kosher, but it's escaping me now. It might have just been how I found the gelatin in the fettuccine, and I was like, oh, that's. That's not kosher. That's not. But um, it might have been something else. I don't. I don't quite remember. So this this next topic has really weighed very much on me, and it's been emotional, like at a degree that's you know I, I was a little like it took me a few minutes to get st- started in this session because I've been dealing with this, and it's been hard to deal with. We've been reading through. We started with Joshua, Yeshua, and then we went to Shoftim, Judges, and then we went. From there to First Samuel, Second Samuel. So this has been like, um, for our experience, it's, we've been reading the Parsha in Hebrew every week, but there were certain parts of the scripture we're not so familiar with. So we're doing something about it. <laughs> Book of Judges and John's First Samuel, Second Samuel, right? Right. So what's been particularly, I don't know, it's just been a captivating experience. We started on First King, got through there, and... <laughs> I think it's 
right around when the time of Solomon, slow-mo, things really started to go toward idolatry in Israel. It's all recorded. And you had the kind of the splitting, trying to remember exactly the details. Are you talking about the splitting of the kingdom? Yeah. Was that at the time of slow-mo, Solomon? So what happened, I'll give you a quick rundown from my memory. Yes. Um, Shlomo, because of his many wives, ended up chasing after other gods. And it says so, that. Yes, it says so that. God, God's like, well, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you, but for David's sake, I won't completely just, you know, take all of it away. I'll just take most of it away. So, uh, and it's not going to be during the time of Shlomo, again, honoring David, uh, as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, it's not really a good thing for, it's not a perk in Shlomo's favor. It's a perk in David's favor, right? A feather in his hat. Um, So Solomon dies, and then his son, uh, Rehoboam, takes the throne, and... uh, yeah, as you'll remember, the temple was built in Solomon's time, Shlomo's time. So the people came to uh, Rehoboam and was like, you know, your father had really high taxes on us because of the temple building and all this. Could you maybe lower the tax burden on us so that we can, you know, um, not be so... Uh, financially hurt by it. And so uh, Rehoboam was like, give me a few days to think about it. And he talked to his father's advisors, who's like, if you... Uh, if you lessen this burden on them, they will love you like a father. And then he went and talked to his friends, his peers about it, and they were like, you're the king. Show them who's boss. And so Rehoboam came back to the people, and he was like, my little pinky is thicker than my father's loins. I don't know if you're interpreting that or not, but... Anyways, uh, he's like, I will, where my father struck you with whips, I will strike you with scorpions. And, you know, the people didn't take too kindly to that. Yeah, we read through that. We read through that, you know, it's in Second Kings, correct? Yep. I think it's, it's, also a, it's in, the end of First Kings. It's King. also in Chronicles, too. Okay. So, but anyways, uh, so yeah, 10 out of 12 tribes seceded and formed their own nation in the north, being known as Ephraim, the kingdom of Ephraim, and also as the kingdom of Israel. And then the kingdom in the south was named the kingdom of Judah on account of the fact that it uh, you know was comprised mainly of Judah and the smaller tribe Benjamin and uh, also some of Levi was in there as well. And so when Judah went to go and like uh, muster up an army to take back the ten tribes that seceded, uh, God was like, no, leave them alone because I'm the one that did this. I remember that verse. That's one verse that says it. Yeah. yeah. There was some king that was going to go take it. Who was that? That was that was Rehoboam. He was going to Re- take it from Jeroboam. Rehoboam. Yeah, Rehoboam. Yeah. It was in retaliation for seceding, yeah. All right, so to fast forward, that was a great that was that was a great interim call it uh, kind rundown. of a review rundown or yeah. a summary synopsis. Or, sure. <clears throat> we've been we when we finally the the thing that's it's hard to find the words for this, but what you can read in a second is 
like it's falling more and more and more and more into Avaldanzara, and the nation's just becoming it's awful. I mean, the stories in there are pretty amazing. So we finally got the chapter 17, and that's where the I think the the, the narrative kind of takes a break in it. It kind of zooms out and says all of this is happening with idolatry and offending Hashem and making him angry. And that's why he split the kingdom and idolatry went more and more and more. And finally, the Assyrians were showing up to oppress the north. Yeah. And it talks about, finally, when you get fast forward to the end of chapter 17, that, let me see if I can, the wording is important. Let's see if I can find us. It's coming. So effectively, this is the story of exile of the ten, ten uh, Northern tribes. Tribe. Yeah. yeah. So they must have picked up God and Menashe, the ones who also didn't want to go in the promised land. Is Menashe and God and was and Ru Reuven must have been those uh, those were on the other side. You you know what I'm talking about? There were a certain tribe on the other side of a river. Or yeah, something? they did not cross the Jordan because because they want to be ranchers in the land of Bashan, the Og. They wanted to stay there, and that was. God, Reuven, Reuben, and Menashe, those three. And so the, this they, happened, like, when the land of Israel was taken, or...? Well, this is what I'm talking about. This is when they originally went. Yeah, I mean, this. taken from the Canaanites is what I, I meant. Yes, right. All right. I, I gotcha. Anyway, so in the end of chapter 17... It says it has verses like, for they served idols, served idols, sent prophets, they didn't listen. <laughs> Not funny. Served Baal, served, worshipped the host of heaven, made a, made groves, he had golden calves up in the north, which I knew about that. They had golden calves up. What is it with the Israelites and golden cows? You'd right. think they were from India or something. So you would think. <laughs> so... So, 2 Kings 17, 23. Yep, not far up enough. 23, huh? Just an amazing okay. statement. It's a really an amazing statement. Um, I'll look at yours and just translate that. Or I have, and Ooh. for some reason, the window got really small. On, so, I'm trying to figure out how to. There it is. Okay, I got it. 7 Kings 17. 23. 23, right there. Hey, can I ask a real, uh, question real fast? Yeah. On my screen, do you see how there's this in parentheses? Yeah. Yo, yeah. Yoda, and then it's Yodach. Yodach. What, what's yeah. up with Because it happens every now and then. Yeah, well, those have a technical name. What those are are the Kari Kativ. Kari Kativ is what the name of it is. And, um, it's saying that at some point, I don't know how the details of how you get a caricative, but they've all been carried forward. Whenever there was like any kind of a scroll that had a difference, they just, the caricative means there's one you read it and there's one, if you read it out loud versus if you read it in your just head, reading, in your head. Yeah. So it's written one way and it read another. Way. That's what, that's what the word caricative and the history of these, it's something to do with discrepancies found some. So, oh, okay, I got so you. The, the carry on this, the uh. way I'm reading this is Vayida, we carry and the Vayadach, and in, in all the ones I've seen, 
it's a little bit like the difference between six and a half dozen. You know what I mean? It doesn't really change the text very, the meaning of it at all. Well, I mean, as far as I can tell, this is basically the same word with a slightly varied, like the root is exactly the same. The only difference is over the uh, Dalit, there's an accent mark and a dot inside. And at the end, instead of an Aleph, there's a Chet, which I don't know. Does that change it at all? Well, it's Vavio, Dalit, is all the same. And the only difference is the last letter. It's either an Aleph or a uh, Chet, correct? Ta versus Ta. Yeah, it's the same thing. Nada, right. So that Nada has the meaning of banish, whereas Yadach, the other one, has the meaning of banish. See that? They're mm-hmm. synonyms in this case. Nadach, nada. I see that. And they're showing two different ones. I mean, we don't have to get too heavily involved in this. I've I've seen it before, and I've always wondered what it meant, and I couldn't find any answers. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's bring that up for the next time to talk about Kerry Kativ a little more in depth. But that, that was a quick answer. Mm-hmm. So it became part of the tradition because it appeared some, at some point. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, 23 says, it reached the point that Hashem just wiped, he he put him aside, you know, he um, pushed away uh, Israel from before his face, just as he said by the hand of all of his servants and the prophets. And so it says, Vayigel Israel, Israel was in Gilus, exile mm-hmm. from its land. That's the Admato. Um, Israel was exiled out of its land into Assyria to this very day. So that's a translation of that. <laughs> How do they translate it in this one? The say 20 English up there. Uh, I, hold on. I had it up and ready, and then I was trying to get something taken care of, and it moved my... Thing. Yeah. Hold on, 23 yeah. in England. It is right there. Okay, uh, it's mid-sentence, so I'm going to read 22 as well. The people of Israel followed the example of all the sins that Yarovan had committed and did not turn away from them until Adonai removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said he would He would through all his servants, the prophet. Thus Israel was carried away captive from their own land to Asher, and it remains so to this day. So this removed out of his sight, heaven was expressing, it was challenging to find out how to say that, but it is, that's pretty well said. Just pushed them out of his sight. I think that's how I said it. And remove them from their land. So this has been just, <clears throat> there's something about the whole passiveness and what takes place in the next chapter is this, the whole chronicling of everything is now only coming through Judah. It's only coming through one tribe. Right. And that big, that big differential I've talked about on this program uh, for how uh, people who are Jewish don't talk like the Torah says that the, the tribes are coming back. They don't act like it. They don't talk like it. They don't seem to believe it for the majority of the cases. And they do things like say, well, the people standing at Mount Sinai were the Jewish people. Totally, <laughs> they, totally inadequate. Right. And so, and the problem with that is, then they say, well, incidentally, you're Jewish if your mother is something like this. Mm-hmm. So only those people are Jewish, and it's only and it's all the Jewish people at Sinai in the covenant. And yet this verse says in 23 that it was all those nations in the or tribes and not nations, but tribes in the north that Hashem put out of his sight, I guess, sort of. Doesn't say that from from from, from 
from upon his face, literally it says. <laughs> Get so, away from me is kind of the picture I'm getting. It is. That's correct picture, right? So, but I, I, I want to stress that this is really weighing upon. There's the Reuvenite, the Reuvenish people, right? There's the God, so-called is Zivalunish people and Don-ish people and the Benjamin-ish people, not just only the Jew-ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Then in the whole history of everything is starting to be told from the point of view of just one tribe and all of the stuff and all the enactments and all of the different things that we respect, but we don't quite treat it the same way in the Talmud and everything all is all commencing here at this point. Right. Chapter 20, what is it? Chapter 18 forward. So do you so, think, yeah. I just kind of assumed that the entirety of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles was written specifically in Judah, which is why we have them. I imagine any sort of record similar to it in the north would have been, you know, lost in the ransacking and, and cap captivity of the northern kingdom. Yeah, I know. That's a very interesting way to think about this. Well, you got to kind of, I feel like in order to get a really good feel of what what's going on and what happened and everything you have to you have to play it out in your in your mind sequentially you know otherwise it's like uh, everything's spotty if you don't play it out the reason why i've been thinking so much about this is because it's in this relates to it's very interesting to read this and then go back to chapter 30 book of deuteronomy and see this exactly prophesied of exactly what was going to happen mm -hmm. and yet there is and that's the point of our podcast is tour topics and instruction for people to get the most sorry to get the teacher to become like the valley of the dry bones mm -hmm. standing it cross over yeah cross over the bones hitting coming back with the bones and putting up a host you know of heaven or of israel and even says in that passage these are the hosts of Israel, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it says it, it clearly. Says, it says specifically in the English, the bones are the whole house of Israel. That's the first I'm talking about. Not right? not just the house of Judah, not just the north the southern kingdom, but the whole united collected house of Israel, which would include Judah, but would also include the 10 northern tribes. So we know that this is like, there's hardly any words to describe. It's, it's awful. It's incomprehensible. Golden calves, the idolatry, the groves, the sin, the avodazara, <laughs> and the turning aside from, from the mitzvot and the turning aside from the covenant. It's really, and we know it's really hard to deal with. Like in Hashem, all these years ago, made a, whatever, some kind of a promise that we would all come back. And this time is like opening up before us, right? And so yeah. it's really been a very much a reflective time here for me looking at this and trying to really sift through what is all of this, what, what is all this telling us? <clears throat> so I guess that's a problem. That's probably a really good place to land unless you have anything that you want to add to this. I know this has been a motivation for you. Um, so I've been thinking uh, quite a bit lately about the parable of the uh, prodigal son and how it relates to this whole scenario. Um, and I've been thinking about how it's really not in the cards at the moment for the Ephraim to return because the laws that are in place in Israel today don't really make 
allowances for that. Um, do you remember the story of the parable of the 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 parable of the prodigal son, David? So the younger son asks for his inheritance. He gets it. He leaves and has a big party life, basically another country. Living himself, yeah. himself out to be his own ruler. Essentially, his own god, sort of thing, and then he sees himself. <laughs> he, he he eventually spends the inheritance. The whole, you know, the money runs out, and he's you know there was a big famine or something. He ended up feeding the hogs. Yes, and he in the process he had no money for food for himself, so he would eat the pig slop himself to feed himself because he had nothing else. And um, you know, he woke up and realized, man, I messed up. I need to return to my father's household. Suddenly he cared about his own home and his his family, even though he didn't care about it during when he was partying partying, correct. Right. And so while <laughs> he was still a great distance off, the father saw him and ran to him. <laughs> Well, I've, I've not gotten to my main point yet. It's yeah, still that part's all good. I mean, you were asking if I remember. That's all, you know. Yes, I remember. Well, so, you know, God, you know, the father clothes his son with a robe and shoes and a signet ring and has the, you know, invites him back into the household and he throws this big party. The older, uh, do you remember the response of the older brother? The, the older brother is um, very troubled by it. He doesn't like it. Well, do you remember the wording the older brother said? You can remind me of that. I'm going to go to the other thing for just a minute. Okay, yeah, so the, the older brother said, I've lost you. Well, at, at any rate, the older brother, uh, right when he's, oh, you're back? Yes, I was here. I, don't, I, had, I had to leave on that computer. I'm on a different. I gotcha. Okay, so the older brother, when he sees that there's uh, something happening at the house, asks the servant, what's going on? And the servant replied saying, you know, your brother has returned and your father wants to celebrate for it. And the son, the older brother is, is very distraught by all of this. And so he purposely avoids the party. And the father comes and finds him and he's like, why aren't you participating in this? And the older brother was like, all my life, I've done everything you've ever asked me to do. I have followed every one of your laws, and never once have you even given me a fattened calf to slaughter and enjoy with my friends. And now here comes my brother, after squandering his own inheritance, and not caring at all about the rules that uh, you've given, and you're, you're just welcoming him back. With open arm. And my point is that I kind of feel like that's that's the way we're going to come back into the promised land. Is I don't think Judah is necessarily going to be happy about the scenario at first. I feel like um, God's going to make a way for us in spite of what Judah feels. That's kind of my point. Right, so in that story... But doesn't Judah. that just sound like the position the Jews would take today is is I followed every single one of your laws and here come oh, these yeah. other people and they've never followed any of your laws and you're just accepting them here? Right. <laughs> that, those there are, are the are parts being good. played. Yeah, it's a good allegory. It is. I mean, <laughs> because 
that motivation is latent within very much latent. We can, we on our side can definitely see this in the system of Judaism or Jewish people or the religion itself, especially. Mm-hmm. We're able to see it. <laughs> so, also the brothers. So he have a picture in Genesis of just uh, go back to Judah. In Genesis. The brothers were looking at Joseph and didn't recognize. That's like if Ryan had a looking looking right at him and they didn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's an equal kind of derush, you know, or something like as you just pointed out that fits with that other parable. Right. And and it's lamentable. I was told or we don't teach the Torah. We don't teach the Torah to non-Jews. Right. Well, I'm going to keep repeating those words over and over and over and over again until somebody, until a big army stands, their bones all put back together and skin put back on and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Wesley's here to say hi. Say hello, world, or not. That's cool. Whatever. Hello, Wesley, world. <laughs> this is being recorded and broadcasted across the entire world. You don't want to say nothing? You don't want to say hi? No? That's okay. So think about this in in relation to the idea. For the idea of putting up maybe a storefront, on what I call an outpost, so that Christians in the area of Kenton County or wherever... Boone County up there and that whole northern Kentucky area where there's not a one single there's not a synagogue anywhere up there there's all these like millions of people in Campbell, yeah. Kenton, and Boone County there's not one solitary there's no synagogue. This was a point I tried to make to him so why don't you have an outpost that at least some passerby somewhere that's a church member could look at it and be led or drawn by the Holy by the Ruach Akodes to turn away from different pagan systems, ideas yep. systems right? whether it's yeah. the sun Sun worship, the Sunday worship or whatever, right? It's a latent form of sun worship. Right. Anyway, this is what I was saying to my friends. And I said, why don't don't you have some kind of a storefront or a something facility, a yeshiva for the nations or some outpost or something? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, we don't teach the Torah to non-Jews. Yeah. You know, I've kind of been thinking about having something like that here on this property. And we would call it uh, B'nai Chamelech, which was a song that I listened to uh, quite a bit. And, uh, you know, obviously I still listen to it and everything. And I didn't really think about what it was called until I was looking at it. And, you know, I'm starting to pick up on being able to read the Hebrew words. And so I, I read it out loud and I was like, oh, I think that might be something like Children of the King. And so I looked it up and that's what it was. I was like, haha. Anyways, I was thinking that might be like if we were to have some sort of a Torah study center. Yeah. That might be a decent name for that. I'm all for the idea. I do is you put in <clears throat> different decor, uh, you know, icons of a Torah, a scroll if we could get one, mm-hmm. a menorah, Mogenda. Mogenda is the star. Right. Different things that are typically associated with Jewish. But the problem with that is they say, we don't teach the Torah to nons. And yet <laughs> they say everybody, the people who receive the Torah are the Jewish people. So <laughs> even though all the other uh, 11, 12 tribes, 11, 12 tribes, were, I was all overall there. Right. All right. So Judah is, you know, mentioned in this section second king as says uh it's com- it's kind of like saying well they had idolatry there too but it just wasn't quite as bad <laughs> or something like that maybe i don't know i get that idea from the way that that starts in 
let's see if we can find it here real quick. Yeah, well, it starts, it does pick it up for sure in chapter 18. Okay, it was Kazakia, that's 18 verse 1. So he did cut down some groves, broke the broken piece of serpent. They were worshipping that too. That was the thing that Moshe had made. Oh, uh, yeah, un- I see. In verse un- 4. Yes, for un- unto those days, the children of the Bnei Israel burned incense to that serpent and called it Nechustan. <laughs> That's like a snake god, a snake idol. Hold on, let's see. That's uh, eighteen. That was eighteen four. <laughs> Excuse me, four. Uh, I'm gonna see if I can find it in the Hebrew and pull up the pull up the what call it. Excuse me. Good lord. All right, four. Uh, something made of copper. It just it's defined as something made of copper. What the nechustan? Well, Nechostan yeah. is a wordplay on Nechash. It's it's uh, it's like snake idol. <laughs> it's what oh. that, that's what Nechostan is saying. Man, so, I uh, wish I could get that sort of information from this lexicon. Well, the way you can is that Nun Shin Nechash. That that's a, you would know that it's sewing right there. H five one seven eight. I think that's a Nechash. I guess I should click on that. Where does that go? All right, that pulls up. Over here, copper, something made of copper, a coin, a shekel, and base. Uh, okay, so yes, that's be- <laughs> that's a very interesting copper and the serpent share share like a root. <laughs> it's nechoshet is a copper and nechash is a serpent. So I they're based like on. in search serpent. Yeah. No, it won't work that way. It it's cataloged according to the uh, Strong's number. Well, and so I'd have to know what the Strong's number is. I think you can find the root in Hebrew in Genesis chapter three because that's that's the word play that they're using. You know, the snaky god <laughs> nechostan for them to say that. It means, you know, this the serpent-like God. Let's see Genesis chapter three. Yeah, it's it's probably the first verse. Oh, and then I gotta lower this down. Okay. Yep, it's the first word, the nachas. So it says, and the nachas right there. Noon chet. See that? Uh, my system's going nuts. Can you see that? <laughs> yeah, I do see that. Wonder what's going on there. Let's see, instead of like that, let's try it doing it this way. There it is. A snake. Nechash. Right. So what they're doing is a wordplay on that root. H fifty one seventy five in that other I word. That was the same number as before. Mm. Why is it pulling up different information? I'm so confused. It's, it's not. It's not the same. I don't think it's the same. It's so. If I hold down shift and then go from here. Well, and that pulls up this number here. So there's a whole. <laughs> Ooh, it also means enchantment. Right. That's what Nachas whisper a spell. It's also divination. Yeah. Wow. And learn by experience. Diligently observe. Well, that learn by experience that becomes shrewd. It's like smartness that comes from shrewd experience. You know, experience. That's that the, makes sense. You know, the uh, with the serpent being shrewder than any other animal. That's where. That's where that. That's why that was tagged. I gotcha. Because it's innate to being creature. Uh, create creature. Correct. I got you. So let me try to do this. So in the Genesis 3, it's a nachash. 
who was shrewd, right? And that's the one that talks to E. So <clears throat> the fast forward, the B'nai Israel and the Torah complain about something. I don't remember exactly. It might have been the Ma. They were complaining about the man. They go back and review what it was, but they were complaining in some way. And so these snakes came. Hashem sent them these snakes. Bite right. Then. And so God told Moses to make this bronze snake on a staff. Correct. Anyone who's bit by the snakes looks up at this staff and they'll be healed. It's a very interesting spiritual thing going on. <clears throat> so the thing that Hashem told Moshe to make, Nachash Nechoshet, Nechoshet. So that's actually based on the same root. So it's a it's a bit of a wordplay in Hebrew to say a snake of brass or bronze. Actually, in Hebrew, sounds like Nachash Nechoshet. So it's the same, like it's the same word, repeated a different way. So, so then that worked. They looked at it and that saved the lives of the people. And so that was stored away. This in Second Kings is telling us that a bad habit had been started to worship this snake. <laughs> and they even gave it a name, right? And we've been talking about the name for the last 10 minutes. Right. Nechustan, which is also based on Nechustan. Mm-hmm. Come here, not. So they gave no, it a I name. It. Yeah. The snakey idol, right? <laughs> they actually I'm, gave I'm, just, I'm forming a thought. In a, yeah, it's that's a, okay. It's another trail. Yeah, but... I understand. It's okay. I'm, I'm just, so that's putting it all together where we are trying to talk about this second king. The transition from and there being a nation in the north to there is none and it's all through Judah. And I think right. that's a that's a good it's a good place to land that. We can go ahead with your thought. Well, I was just curious, like one of the the big no nos is to not make any graven images. And then God tells Moshe to make this image of a snake on a pole. Isn't that like a counterintuitive to what was already told? <laughs> It does seem odd, you know, the same difficulty also arises from figures that are put over the Ark of the Covenant. The, um, oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. The cher- the cherubim. Yeah. Right? There's a, the, they got two figures, the angelic whatever looking things, right, that are put on a, over the, the it's called the um, parochet, translated mercy seat, right? Over right. There. So it's the same difficulty, technically. Yeah. <laughs> In a broader sense, you know, Elohim commanded Avraham to do something that shouldn't be permitted. Go take your son up to the mountain and sacrifice. You know, like there are these anomalies in the Torah. Right. They have a deep spiritual meaning, right? It's the best way to think about it. it, So I don't know if I went too far off, but the, the original question was, how is that not idolatry? Well, I mean, in a sense, we can see that it, it was eventually used for idolatry. I know it. That's the ridiculous. Which is which is why God doesn't want us making these graven images. But if we're not to be making graven images, then why would God command Moses to make a graven image? It it it's just like. I, I've never really thought of it before, but all of a yeah. sudden, like, huh. We can research this, but uh, you, you could frame an answer in idolatry in Hebrew is alien service, uh, avodah zara. And so what's in the heart is already a prophecy. Yeah. It's with the people complaining about what Hashem had been doing. <laughs> then he, he sent snakes. Why did he send snakes to bite? I mean, he could have... Maybe he could have sent scorpions. I don't know, something different, <laughs> right? Yeah, or, you know, maybe after they repented, instead of having Moshe build this bronze snake on a post, maybe just do away with the snake? Well, there's really deep, there's deep symbolism. 
because it's going all the way back to Genesis, the role that Nachas is doing, Adam Harishon, you know, Adam. It's, it's making a hint to that original transgression. So why don't we develop this topic a little? It's, you know, we can bring this up again. The question is, you know, just kind of an understanding about the serpent, right? Yeah. Okay, that, that sounds good. Yeah. So I know that it's, it's because of how these figures are being used. Hashem's sending a serpent. The serpent bites the people, right? That's like reminding everybody of the story of Eve in the garden. <laughs> how that is affected by an image of a serpent, that's understanding on. Okay. But how that became an idol, I don't understand on. <laughs> no, no, it's spelled out up here in uh, 2 Kings 18. Let's see, where was that verse? <laughs> Before, I think, yeah. In those days, the people of Israel were making offerings to it, calling it Nehushtan. Nehushtan. Right, so this must have been part of what saved Judah, is that he did put his trust in Adonai, the God of Israel, and it's his, 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 his Indeed. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to land this. We were kind of working on how to uh, bring it to a conclusion. You've... <laughs> You've just experienced another Torah Topics, right? <laughs> Thanks for listening to Torah Topics. This has been uh, your host, David and Terry Eisen and Daniel Dave. and Karina Wegman. Um, we, yeah, there it is. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm uh, blanking out right now. Well, it's we're going to set that up for next time. Questions about this knockoff. Yeah. So, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. You can have, have you a can great and blessed week. Push the board.